Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, and this week we're talking Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, as well as all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, and for the very first time in all Four months, we are recording together in the same room. Hello, Lee. Hello there, Tim. <laughs> we have been recording remote throughout the Sydney COVID lockdown restrictions mm. of the last four months. So it's really great to be back doing this in person where we belong. We're reunited and it feels so good. And we were also reunited with the cinema this week. So mm. Lee and I were able and very privileged to check out Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings on the big screen. What a welcome back, huh? I can't wait to talk about this film. Tim, let's do it. So, Shang-Chi stars Simu Liu as the heroic martial arts master Shang-Chi, who must confront the past he left behind when he is drawn into the web of the mysterious Ten Rings organisation. The movie is directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, who directed Just Mercy, with a screenplay by Cretton, Dave Callaham, who did Wonder Woman 1984, mm. and Andrew Lanham, who also worked on Just Mercy with uh, Cretton. The film stars Simu Liu, Aquafina, Menga Zhang, with Michelle Yu, Fala Shen, and Tony Leung. So, Tim, at the heart of this story is family, honour, grief and love. Would you agree? I totally agree. That is the baseline mm. of this film. And it's about a young man trying to find his place in the world. Yeah. Shang-Chi, or Sean, as he's changed his name to, mm. must confront the past he left behind, right? We have a classic tale of a young man running from a life he no longer wanted to live and all the things that come with that. How did you feel about the story and how it played out? There's a lot of exposition 
in this film, yep. isn't there? Which I get, there kind of has to be. Though. There has to be. It's yeah. very necessary for you to understand the histories, the mysteries, mm-hmm. and then, of course, the future place these characters will ultimately have in the MCU. But did you feel it was a little too much? I felt that the former was at the expense of the latter. So they're right. setting up these characters within the MCU and I think some of the emotional beats in the story needed to be hit on or built out a little bit earlier, particularly the intricacies of the father-son relationship. That's at the heart of this story. It's a young man grappling with his relationship with his father and trying to move on from that. And his father's a very complicated character. Yes, very complicated. I'm actually looking forward mm. to discussing him when we get to characters and performances. But mm. a huge part of how they chose to tell this story origin story, understanding the mythology, the characters, where they come from, where they're going, etc., is through the use of a lot of flashbacks as well. Mm-hmm. So exposition through the form of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And what that allowed was truths to be slowly revealed. And they lent into that a lot. And I don't mind that story mechanic. But mm. again, did you think that was a little too much? Um, no, but I think some of it maybe should have happened a little earlier. You know, because there are these big reveals sort of in the third act or just before the third act that I thought, oh, that's a really interesting aspect to his character that I would have liked to have known a bit earlier, Mm. you know. And especially what he's carrying within him, the struggle within him. You never got to see that play out as well as it could have. Do you think that Shang-Chi wasn't a particularly developed character? In some ways, yes. I think... If you take away Simu Liu's fantastic performance, which mm. we'll touch on later, and the action, there really isn't a lot to the character, which is a problem in a tentpole introduction to a superhero like this. And, you know, but Simu Liu is just so damn watchable. So damn watchable. Shirt on and shirt off, if I might add. <laughs> More of that later. <laughs> yeah, and I guess to build on that, Lee, to give a wider context, of course, you, our listener, would surely know this, but we, we'll educate you nonetheless, is that Shang-Chi exists in a post-Endgame world, Avengers Endgame, yep. and it is the 25th film in the franchise. So it has a lot of work to do to catch up because mm-hmm. there's been 24 films before it, and it's set, you know, thousand years ago in the mid-90s and then in the present day mm. uh, within the MCU timeline. So the MCU is a quarter century old now, people. And we're kind of still getting origin stories, which I think inherently is a bit of a challenge in a franchise to kind of bring Mm. you back into uh, the past to explore new things that ultimately Mm. will play a huge character in the future of the franchise. They did pull on some threads from some earlier MCU films, though, which I really enjoyed and was quite surprised by. I thought, oh, that's clever. Mm, mm. How did you feel about that without giving any spoilers away? Yeah, spoiler-free territory here, guys. Yeah, I love it. I love to get a kick out of that stuff. It's what makes the MCU really special because mm. it constantly arcans back to things that were referenced in past films. It does right a few wrongs as well mm. uh, to kind of reposition the mythology of the Mandarin mm-hmm. and the and the Terror Network, the Ten Rings, and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So, but they do it in a really funny, unique, respectful way, I think and so. it got me excited. It got yeah. me really excited. Yeah. This film is also so tightly edited. Oh yeah, fast paced action is incredible, which we'll touch on again later. But yeah. just really well put together. Really, really well put together, and the film was funnier than I was expecting, which seems silly to say when you have the likes of Aquafina being cast. And the MCU always has this 
really nice balance of humor and drama as a staple, but I found the humor quite relatable and it worked. How did you feel about it? Yeah, definitely. It wasn't too much. When you put an actor like Aquafina in a film, and actually when I was thinking about this earlier, I thought, hang on, that's not right anyway. Sorry, let me explain. (laughs) Aquafina has a very unique style of comedy, Mm. which can grate on some, I think. But she is also incredibly talented at knowing when to rein it in yes. and balance it with a really nuanced performance. Yeah. She's fantastic. That's what she absolutely delivered to this film um, and was a really key player in the story. And I think you were talking about the pace and the editing and everything. I felt the humour was really crucial mm. in keeping to that pace, breaking the tension here and there yep. and propelling it further. It was a really good mechanic, story mechanic to keep it punchy and fun. Can we talk about the fact that this film was made in Australia? Yes, please. Can we? Oh, I love that. Yeah. It makes me so excited that we have produced something like this. Yes, it started filming back in early 2020 and it had a bit of a delay in the production with the grapples of COVID, but then it got back up and running mm-hmm. and was one of the first big films to tackle a COVID safe set environment mm. and something that Hollywood looked towards to learn from uh, because they absolutely nailed it. And it's really good testament for our uh, film industry here in this country yeah. that we were able to deliver such a film at As such trying times. Australia represent. Yeah. And speaking of representation, mm. we've got to talk about that because yes. this movie is a huge milestone in terms of representation. It incorporates beautiful flourishes of Asian culture and it also pays homage to some incredible Asian cinema like Crouching Tiger, oh, Hidden Dragon. Absolutely does. And I think off the back of a recent film, Snake Eyes, which we reviewed, mm. which was a massive misfire, it's great to see a film like this one thrive and deliver on such a diverse story within yeah. this genre. Especially when it was insensitively referred to as an interesting experiment mm. by Disney's CEO. But the film is just an incredible success. Oh, yeah. And without being too crass, like what the film delivered was a big F you to the Disney CEO with that sentiment, don't you <laughs> yeah, think? Yeah, exactly. You know, it was just fantastic. And the representation is what makes and should make this film really special. Really simple things, which you shouldn't even really call out, but I, I think they're important too. You know, the first English spoken line isn't mm. for what more than 10 minutes into the movie yeah which is which is really really important and that's also a nice message to your audience it's having faith in your audience yes. that they can handle some subtitles yeah there's this preconceived notion i don't know where it's come from and i probably have it as well i don't mind subtitles in a film at no, all i love not. it but people are scared of them or will, mm. will filmmakers think audiences are scared mm. they're absolutely not like, and this film proved that because there was a really great balance of it. Mm. And speaking of Asian culture and, and all that stuff, the Mandarin in the comics wears 10 alien rings on his fingers. So traditionally that's in the canon. But in this film, the rings were revised to be Hung Jar iron rings worn on the forearms. Mm. And these rings are traditionally used in martial arts, training to strengthen the arms and the fists. So that change was made to incorporate Chinese culture really importantly. And obviously because what do you call it? Like cosmic jewelry. We've already seen, it's already been done with Thanos and the infinity stones and the infinity gauntlet. So it just offers that point of difference and harkens back to a positioning it around a really lovely cultural element of this film. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Just on representation, we Mm. actually spoke to stunt actor Jim Punnett recently who expanded on this in more detail and he worked on Shang-Chi and Mortal Kombat. So make sure you check out our interview episode with Jim Punnett because it's really interesting. Yeah, I agree. 
Now, Lee, shall we jump into performances? Yeah. Yeah, performances and characters. So Simu Liu, yep. what, did, what did you reckon? A star is born. Uh, yeah? His performance was everything it needed to be. Compassionate, strong, goofy, mm. funny, sexy, like gimme, gimme, gimme. Yeah, sexy, <laughs> definitely. He had a lot of charisma. Oh, yes. Charisma is the perfect word for him, Charisma I think. is the perfect word because he had this whole film on his shoulders and his character is like, this slacker living in San Fran, he parks cars for a living with his best mate, Katie, mm. played by Aquafina. You know, they're both living this easy lifestyle. They like to party. There's some really yeah. great karaoke scenes in there, this movie. There's that great line when they look at each other and they go, we should do the responsible thing. Or, <laughs> I loved that. So funny. I have to say that I can relate to that more than you realise. <laughs> uh, so, I got a little bit of a chuckle and I saw the film with my husband and he did give me a little bit of a nudge. So, I'm like, okay, little thanks for that, yeah. hubby. I loved the platonic friendship too mm. between Katie and Sean. You know, they didn't need to shoehorn a romance in there. No. Although, I'm sure she was madly in love with him because, hello, have you seen Simu Liu? Yeah, one of my favourite lines in the film that she delivers when he's going into a cage fight, let's call it, and she asks, where, where was your shirt? <laughs> you know, he's just come <laughs> out with shirt off. And she's kind of looking at him just like the audience are looking at him going, damn. Um, yeah, so we, we relate to Katie a lot. And it's also a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek jab at these kind of movies where they always somehow lose their shirts and have the big reveal about how <laughs> cut they are. Yeah, exactly. And boy, was he cut. And can we talk about Katie, unless you mm. have more for no, Simu? No. I really loved her. Yeah. Honestly, more, more, more of Aquafina in films. She's so funny, but not too much. Although her character arc was quite predictable in ways Mm -hmm. and referenced a lot constantly through her commentary. But it was a really nice character arc and I liked how she grew as a character. Yes. And I liked, as I said, her position as the platonic best friend Mm. and not the romantic interest. Yeah. Yeah. She did such a fantastic job. And I have to say, casting Tony Leong as the antagonist, Wen Wu, Mm. is a stroke of genius. He brings just an effortless depth and dimension to this character. You know, he's not a 1D baddie. No. He's equal parts passion, grief and power-hungry madman. Yeah. I mean, initially you get sentiments of him being a sociopath, a narcissist, a bigot even, especially his treatment of his daughter and her martial arts training yeah. within the within that culture and environment of the Ten Rings organisation. But he's a really complex villain yes. and he's an absolutely significant driver to the story, which was so important and I found that really unexpected. Mm. I thought he delivered the best performance in the film. Oh, 100%. 100%. Mm. But also Jia Ling, who's played by Meng Zhang, doesn't get enough screen time or character development, I felt, which is a real problem because... That's the crux of her character's struggle Mm. within the plot that she's sidelined and in the shadows. And then when you do that to the character within the plot of the film, it's an issue, especially when you see where she ends up at the end of the film. Yes. And I think she's going to have her time without saying too much. Yeah, but I wish it was in this film a bit more. Me too. Just like the father, I found her deeply complex and fascinating. And I was a little frustrated that we didn't lean on her more. And I think the beauty of this film, you know, it's such a groundbreaking film in terms of its representation and all that jazz. It it had the opportunity to give everyone equal weight Mm. without sidelining Shang-Chi as the hero. Yeah. So I think they should have. And also badass women take note because, Mm. my goodness, her ability physically was 
incredible. And I, I just wanted more of that along with her complexity to her character exactly, as well. Exactly, 100%. We have to talk about the stunning choreography in this film. Oh, yeah. It's actually breathtaking. I found it just amazing and I was in awe when I was sitting there in the cinema watching it. Also because it was the first time back at the cinema yeah. in months. Yeah. And I just thought... I'm so glad I watched this on the big screen. Guys, yeah. if you can see Shang-Chi on the big screen, please do. It deserves it. It is such a disservice to this film and the story and the mastery that they put on the celluloid from a stunt choreography, martial arts. You know, mm. I got huge Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon vibes, especially mm. in that beautiful fight in the forest. Yeah. Wow. I have to talk about that because yeah, it doesn't just look good but it furthers the story. You know, when Shang-Chi's parents meet in that forest, mm, mm. they fight, but it's also a flirtatious courtship dance. Yes, a dance, exactly. Oh, I wrote the same note. It's gorgeous. just beautiful. And so much happens within that fight that's more than just fisticuffs. Yeah. You know, they fall in love. Yeah. And you feel and believe that. Yeah. And it oh, sends a goosebumps. story. Yeah, right. I do too. The Popcorn Podcast chills are back, Lee. <laughs> Yeah, really, really beautiful. And there were some other notable fight sequences. Oh, yes. The uh, first big action sequence, we have to talk about that, yes. on a bus yes. is done so well in yeah. terms of shots and how it plays out. How mm. did you feel when you were watching that? Look, there's been a lot of buzz around that scene in particular. Mm. And they lent on it in a lot of the marketing. And I was a bit worried that I was going to end up being underwhelmed. But mm. absolutely fucking not. No. Unbelievable. The camera is just everywhere. It's yes. inside the bus, outside the bus, right over his shoulder. I mean, mm. what a way to introduce us to the hero. Yeah. And also the scaffolding scene. Yes. Was ridiculous. They go and up the ante with this jaw-dropping staged fight on yeah. the side of a building in Macau. Yeah. Take Amazing. note, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible <laughs> franchise. Yeah. <laughs> You've got some competition. The gorgeous special effects yeah. too. Of course, you expect a lot of CGI in a mm. Marvel film, but it's so vibrant and engrossing. Yeah. But just to build on that, it's no surprise that this film delivers on special effects yep. and action, which we've touched on. It is inherited in an MCU film, but I think it went to completely new dimensions, if mm. you will. Dimensions the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like It went above and beyond in certain ways, and especially the final act, I was in utter awe mm. at what was being presented to me on screen. It's certainly nothing like we've seen in the MCU before. No, 100%. And the, there's an evocative water scene mm. that is just stunning. Yeah. You know, in other MCU films, it might be relegated to a hologram. Right. But yeah. this was so 3D and just everywhere. It's it's so hard to describe, but when you see it, it's stunning. Well, I think evocative is a word to take yeah. into the cinema, like you said. And water's hard to get right mm. in CGI, but my goodness, it, they just absolutely nailed it. Just back on the climax, okay, mm -hmm. it's really over the top in, <laughs> yeah. a good, in a good way. In a good way. With CGI, um, which it has to be, but... I felt it lost a little bit of its charm at that point because you okay. lost the intimacy of the things that were going on and that's mm -hmm. what makes this film so unique and so beautiful yeah. is the intimacy of the fight scenes and the choreography. Mm. And it just became a huge big Marvel set piece, which it was going to happen, yeah, of course. Yeah, you can't avoid it. But I guess it, yeah, it pulled back from what it was delivering so perfectly mm. throughout and it had to happen. Yeah. And it delivered some pretty extraordinary things. But yeah, it kind of went elsewhere when you wanted to bear back a little bit maybe. Can I introduce a bugbear? Oh, yes. Please. Why? Okay, we've talked about some of these in our last couple of episodes, mm. the empty coffee cups, the oh. empty suitcases. Why do heroes just watch bad things unfold? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the bad guy will become unstoppable if he reaches this point. Okay, let's wait till he gets here. 
Yeah. Till he's right in the end goal. So the stakes are higher and then we'll do something about it. I mean, is it a case of misdirection? Because sure, there's a lot of fighting going on, but you know the bad guy's there. You know where he wants to head. And then stop him before he gets there. But when they realise he's there, they look all, oh my God, I better go and stop him. It's like, you should have <laughs> fucking stopped him on the lawn. Do you know what I mean? Like he was right there. You could have touched him, pat him on the back. Before he got into the forest at the beginning of the movie, your mother stopped him at the beginning of the forest. Why couldn't you all head out there <laughs> as a group and stop him at the beginning oh, of the forest? Oh, hindsight's a bitch. Oh, uh, no. You know, oh wait, he's about to do something that's going to level up and power up and be unstoppable. Let's wait until he's done it. <laughs> Having said all of that, I'm glad that it went to those territories because yeah. then we got the set pieces that we yeah. did. But I completely yeah. agree with you, yeah. Lee. Goodness. So it's like bad guys who don't know how to aim, you know, with yes. guns. And it's like they should have died 17 times by now. And for a country that has so many damn guns, why can nobody aim? <laughs> <laughs> that Speaking of aim, there was actually a line of dialogue that really resonated with me, with mm. Katie's character. Sorry to just go back there. But mm. there was a line of dialogue directed to her and it was, if you aim at nothing – you hit nothing. Mm. And that was a really crucial part in her character development, mm. but also, you know, filtered out ripple effects with all other things within the story yeah. um, in owning your purpose in the world and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Finding your purpose. Yeah. That's it. Now, Lee, I know you want to talk about the music in this film. Just briefly. Yeah. I think it was really beautiful. You had some elements of traditional mixed yeah. with modern. I really loved the choices that they made in this film for the music. Not so much the end credits. When the credits started to roll, the song felt jarring and, and, mm. and not right. I'm not sure what song it was. But within the film, it was the perfect mix of modern and traditional. Yeah. It's a it's a really important balance to get right. And yeah. I think if, if you weave representation into music as well here, the team behind the music came from the Asian and Asian-American focused label 88 Rising. Yeah, amazing. And that plays into the importance of representation, not only in front of the camera, which, mm. which they delivered on, also behind the camera, but in what you hear to support uh, with its music and soundtrack coming from authentic voices. Yep. And it didn't feel overpowering no. either. You know, sometimes in these films you get that song that's the the hit song yeah. that goes with it and it's so recognisable and iconic. I could almost not pull out any kind of music from memory and mm. that's perfect. That's fine. Because it, it fits seamlessly into the film and did what it was supposed to do. But if it helped you feel something. Yeah then it did its job. Exactly. You're not coming out humming the tune. That's okay. Yeah. I totally agree. All right. Should we wrap up Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Tim? What a conversation. I know. I almost don't want to wrap it up. So Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is a welcome addition to the MCU. We are consistently being driven into the mythical secrets of Marvel uh, within this phase four, especially when you throw in the Disney Plus original series and therefore a more diverse group is emerging. And I cannot wait to learn where the Shang-Chi story is going and what it means for the wider context of this franchise, where the story sometimes lacks and felt stuffed to the brim at times, the action, effects and costumes cannot be faulted. And this is a big screen action adventure I felt so privileged to be able to see in cinemas. So I'm going to rate Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings three and a half popcorn kernels. Great. Well, Shang-Chi is a superhero film with incredible spectacle and a lot of soul and some really fun cameos, which we couldn't talk about, but they're really, really cool. It's unlike any other Marvel film we've seen in terms of style and execution, and that is a very good thing. This sets a new benchmark for the MCU, and the film joins the ranks of their best, like Black Panther, Captain America, and Thor Ragnarok. I'm just blown away and so stoked that this film was made in our own backyard, and how wonderful 
it is for representation, especially in this universe. The only other thing left to say is, I want a Morris. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, how do we didn't talk about Morris? We can't talk about Morris. Of Ex- experience Morris for yourself. Please do. I'm giving Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings four popcorn kernels. Wow, Lee, what a wrap-up. So you can catch Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in Australian cinemas right now, lockdowns pending. And don't forget to check out our interview episode with stunt actor Jim Punnett, who worked on Shang-Chi and Mortal Kombat. It's a really great chat. Just search Popcorn Podcast and Jim Punnett. Lee, before Mm. we jump into news and trailers, we have another, my goodness, DVD giveaway to announce. So many DVDs. So many, gimme, gimme, gimme. With thanks to Paramount, we have five DVDs of Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins to give away to celebrate the release of the spin-off to buy on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD and digital on October 20. The film delivers into the backstory of the mysterious assassin Snake Eyes played by Henry Golding. To be in with a chance of winning, all you have to do is make sure you like or follow the Popcorn Podcast Facebook or Instagram page and leave us a comment on the giveaway post telling us who your favourite G.I. Joe character is. The giveaway opens Monday, October 18 and runs until midday on Monday, October 25 and full terms and conditions can be found at popcornpodcast.com. Now, Tim, director James Gunn dropped a bombshell on Twitter this week. Mm. He has confirmed that Will Poulter has been cast as Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. You might remember Adam was teased in a post credit scene of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where the High Priestess Aisha revealed she was genetically engineering a perfect sovereign that would be powerful enough to defeat the Guardians. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? So, mm. in comic book lore... Adam was created by human scientists who sought to make the perfect being and he often goes up against Thanos and has a special connection to the Infinity Stones. As that storyline is played out in film canon, it's safe to say the character will be taken in a different direction, especially as Adam is drawn as a tall, blonde, muscle-bound example of human perfection. Yeah, I mean, would you say that about Will Poulter? No, I, he, he is a brilliant actor. Yeah. He is a comedic mm. genius. I loved all the films he's shown up in, he's got a bit of work to do. But that's the thing about a Marvel movie, isn't it? It takes an actor that you wouldn't really picture in there and then all of a sudden they come out like ripped and ready to rumble. Exactly. Uh, Like... um, Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Oh, he hasn't aged in like 30 years though. He's a freak (laughs) of nature. But uh, yeah, I'm really, really fascinated by this piece of casting. I can't wait. We got a teaser for the Batman this week and people were losing it over Robert Pattinson's Batman voice. Mm. The teaser shows the bat signal lighting up red on a dark and stormy night with Batman saying, it's not just a signal, it's a warning. That was a really good impersonation. I was about to say that was terrible. (laughs) I was joking. Oh, thanks. Sorry, Lee. Uh, So the first look trailer also debuted at DC Fandome and you can check out our coverage of the event on our social media accounts, guys, and on YouTube where you can also find the trailer. Oh, that exciting trailer. It's finally here, Tim. Speaking of trailers, the Mm. long-awaited Scream trailer debuted this week showing the return of Ghostface and our favourite Woodsboro survivors, Sydney Gale Weathers and Deputy Dewey. That's right. Neve Campbell, Courtney Cox and David Arquette are back in this reboot of the popular horror franchise from the late 90s and there's a new killer of course, terrorising people connected to the previous Ghostface killers. Now, we didn't know this about the plotline until the trailer came out, that he's actually targeting people connected to the original killers. And it's very interesting. Could it it be Sydney? 
look, I think either Sydney, Gail, or Dewey need will die. Like one of no. them has to get knocked off. No. I feel like it's going to be Dewey because that's going to pack the biggest emotional punch. But Dewey always gets stabbed and knocked around and he always comes back. He does. So it'd be a bit of a disservice to the man, but mm. I, I think it would be something that would traject this franchise into the stratosphere for assumingly going to be mm. more films. But I don't know if we've spoken about this on the podcast yet. I have a real issue with the film being called Scream. Yes, I was about to say the same thing. It does bother me, yeah. It just, it one, it's confusing and two, it's like, I just don't understand the reason. Maybe it will be revealed, but I had the same gripe with the Halloween mm. franchise mm. where they ignored all 1,500 sequels that had followed <laughs> since 1978 <laughs> yeah. and it was a direct sequel, came out 2018. You know, Halloween Kills is out very, very soon in Australia, but the sequel to Halloween was called Halloween and yeah. it just annoys me. There's actually been two sequels called Halloween, hasn't there? That's right, yeah. The yeah, the 20- Rob Zombie mm. reboot. They did two of those films. It was called Halloween, Halloween 2. Anyway, if you have answers, <laughs> if you, our listener, have answers, please tell us. Help us understand why yeah. they've done that. And in the meantime, Scream is in Australian cinemas January 13, just around the corner. Just around the corner indeed. Now, Lee, in more trailer news, we got the first look at The Black Phone from director Scott Derrickson, starring Ethan Hawk. A terrifying Ethan Hawke. Oh. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. This is a really interesting premise. Really interesting premise. Very dark. Oh, I'm yeah. very, very keen to see this. Mm. But I feel like I've also seen most of the movie based on the trailer, <laughs> yeah, which that, is a real problem. That old chestnut. That old chestnut, which I know you love. Yeah, I know. <laughs> The Black Phone is in Australian cinemas January 27. Lee. Tim. We've done it. We have. Our first in-person recording in four months. We've been to the movies this week. We finally got to review Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, which you can catch in Australian cinemas. Right now, lockdown's pending. Life's good. It is good. We hope that Melbourne can join us very soon, though. Yes, we are, of course, always thinking of you guys. And that's it for another episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. We are now on YouTube, guys, where you will find our latest celebrity video interviews. Simply search Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.